Morning. morning. How are you this morning? Well? Everybody's well, huh? Well, good. We'd like to welcome those of you that are with us for the first time and extend a, a very warm welcome to you through a hand of applause. And in addition, we'd like to give you a brochure that we print especially for new people, and it's designed to help you get acquainted with us, the people called Hope Chapel, just a little bit through some words and some pictures. And we really, truly are glad that you're here, and we want to share that with you and show you that uh, by a little hand of applause. But before we do so, I, I need to ask you that if this is your first time with us this morning, if you could identify yourself uh, just by holding your hand up real high so that one of our ushers can find you and give you our brochure, and then we can welcome you. So any first-time people? We are really excited that you're here. You say, well, you don't even know me. How can you be excited that I'm here? We know our God, and we know the marvelous things that he can do in your life, and so we're excited for what he's going to do in your life. We're thrilled that you're here. We want you to know that. Now, as you look through that brochure, you'll find a card included, and uh, if you could please just take a couple of minutes and fill that card out. It asks for some information, who you are and how you came to Hope Chapel. Uh, if a friend brought you or told you about Hope, there's a a place for you to write their name and their address if you know it. We know that there's very possibly uh, some of you that were even dragged here this morning, and that happens upon occasion. But we're thrilled that you're here. And you write the name of the person on that card who dragged you here, okay? I want to send them a letter and congratulate them, tell them how proud that I am of them. And then on the back side of the card, if you have some comments or some prayer requests or some things in your life that you'd like to share with us, or some needs that we might be able to help you with, write those on the back side of that card. And later in the service, when we pass the offering plate, you can drop those cards in the plate as it goes by. We want you to know that it's wonderful that you're here, and we're excited. A couple of things real quickly. Uh, there's a, we have a new book of the month, and it's a little thin volume. It's a little Bible study book on the book of Romans. And it'll be an excellent aid in helping you as we, as we move through the book of Romans and also in your mini-church discussions, it will present questions to you, uh, uh, issues for you to mull over and contemplate as you grapple with the truths that Paul presents to us in the book of Romans. So I want to recommend that book to you. And I, it's a very, very thin volume. I think it's only like $1.95, something like that. It's well worth the money and well worth your investment. Also, coming up at the end of the month is our Labor Day getaway weekend. And the, uh, the reservations, the spaces are relatively limited. Uh, we have two places we're going. Uh, there's a group going to uh, Mammoth, uh, Mammoth Lakes to camp for several days. And uh, they have, they've reserved already so many spaces. Uh, and if you want to go to Mammoth with that group over the Labor Day weekend, then you must have your reservations in. You must sign up at the information counter. Uh, and also the other group is going up to uh, the local mountains to Camp Cedar Crest, and uh, I believe Green Valley Lake. Is that the other place, Ken? Yeah, Green Valley Lake. There's some cabins reserved up there also. Uh, but you, if you want to go, you must get your reservations in early uh, because they'll be crowded, and uh, those reservations will be snapped up fairly quickly. It's a wonderful opportunity for you to get away, to spend the weekend with other brothers and sisters, uh, as families and so forth. Even if you're single, uh, you'll meet some uh, people in a very relaxed environment, uh, you need to get away uh, and, and, and get away with some Christians. Now, if you're new to our congregation and you don't know anybody or you're a new Christian, uh, then I, I certainly encourage you uh, to go ahead and spend that time. You'll meet some people in our congregation. You'll get, begin to develop some relationships, uh, people that you'll be able to relate to uh, for the rest of your life here and then on into an eternity. Won't that be gla uh, just yeah. glorious? Now, the other thing I want to share with you is about our baptism coming up a week from tonight. It's going to be at the Seaside Lagoon over in the Redondo Beach Marina. I was thinking this morning uh, about, about baptism and, and what I should say to you, uh, especially those of you who are professing Christians and have not yet been water baptized. Do you remember when Jesus came down to the River Jordan and John was baptizing? Now, Jesus, of all people, wouldn't need to be baptized, Right? And yet John says, I, I need to be baptized by you. Jesus says, no, you baptize me. 
you baptize me, that we fulfill all righteousness. If you're not baptized yet, I expect to see you at the lagoon next Sunday night. Now, for those of you who are going to be baptized, meet, meet here at the church at 5 p.m., 5 in the evening, in the Ocean View Room. You're going to meet with Don Stewart, one of our pastors, for a time of instruction to help you really understand what baptism is about and to bring you to, to grips with the decision and so forth and everything that's going on in your life. Very, very important time. The rest of us will meet you down to the lagoon. We'll be down there already eating, okay? Because it's a big church picnic down there also, as well as a baptism. It'll be a wonderful time. And again, if you've never been to a Hope Chapel baptism, they are indeed a celebration. They're well worth your evening, and you ought to just come participate with the rest of us. It'll be a marvelous time. What else do I have for you now in terms of announcements? I can't think of anything else. Oh, I have one thing. Oh, this is lovely. You're going to love this. We have been having our Good News Clubs these past few weeks. Do you remember that? You know, you remember what the new Good News Clubs are? Those are the, the, the uh, situations where we're setting up in homes throughout the community. Various people volunteer their homes to host the kids in their neighborhood who don't know Jesus to invite them to come to a week-long time of hearing the gospel and, and learning all sorts of different things about God and about Jesus. Well, we've been having these past couple weeks, and they're going to go on in through the next month of August. There's one in my neighborhood. We're going to have one at our house. In fact, you're going to teach, Chris, right? Yeah, that's exciting. But right on the street over from us, they've been having one this past week. It just, it just wound up on Friday. They finished Friday with 22 kids. Isn't that exciting? Now, let me tell you, the majority of these kids... The majority of these kids have never heard about Jesus. The majority of them have never been in a church. There's a little girl down there this morning in our children's church who came out of that, that little good news club who's here in church for the first time in her life. She's eight years old. And she's just going... <laughs> and she's just, I, you know, just going to be out of her mind down there with those kids. But I want you to... I want you to do something. I want you to be praying for those kids. They've received the gospel. Many of them have given their hearts to Jesus. And they're going to be going back into homes that don't know Jesus. Be praying that their little lights shine brightly. That their families come to know Christ through the mouths of babes, that they be protected, that their little faith be nourished and encouraged at all points. And be praying too, because we want to follow up with all these kids. And we want to have our good news clubs go on throughout the whole year. They meet every week. Our secretary, our office manager, Doris Kostopoulos, dear, dear, sweet, sweet lady, she was telling me not too long ago about the years that she and her husband Jim had the Good News Clubs in their home. Every week, Jim painted a big sign and he put it out in the front yard. And all the kids walking home from school would see this big sign that says, Good News Club today! And their house became known in the whole neighborhood as the Jesus House. And many, 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 many children came to know Jesus through that Good News Club. They held it every week for years. I'd like to see that happen in our congregation. So be praying for the kids. Be praying for those families. Be praying for the follow-up. Be praying for the ongoing work of the gospel in those little lives. That more and more people would come to know Jesus. That more and more people would be called by the name of Jesus, would be populating this world, and would be taking the gospel out. Wonderful thought, isn't it? Be praying about it, okay? Good. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel that he promised before him through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Through him and 
for his name's sake. We receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all at Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul has introduced himself and he has given a salutation to the church at Rome. And then he says, first, of first importance, he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of His Son, is my witness. How constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, that the way may be opened for me to come to you. In those three verses, verses 8, 9, and 10, that we're going to talk about this morning, the Apostle Paul is telling the Roman church what makes him tick, what goes on inside of him. It's kind of an apologetic for him. He's, he's longed to come to Rome, he says, and we'll see this next week, to impart some gift to them. And Paul knows that, that every place he goes, that he's not exactly welcomed with open arms. That he's beaten, he's imprisoned, he's chased out of town. At one point he was stoned nearly to death. And it's his heart's desire, it's the call of God on his life, that he preached the gospel in Rome. He's never been there. They don't know him. He doesn't know them. But he wants to be well-received so that the message is well-received. And so he sends this letter on ahead. And in the first part of the letter, he shares with them something of what's going on inside him. He reveals himself to them. It's almost as if Paul were saying, Dear Romans, You don't know me, really. You've probably heard some things about me, and I know there's been lots of travel in and out of the city and, and people coming from all different parts of the Roman Empire, and, and you've probably heard about me. You've probably heard that I'm, I demand discipline. You've probably heard that I'm, I'm very definite and specific in my theology. You've probably heard that I... I'm strong. You probably heard that that I I could be intimidating to others. You probably even heard some of the false accusations against me that I I deny the law. I don't teach the truth about God. You probably have even heard that I that I have am fleshly. That's probably the sentiment that he's addressing. He's, he's probably not expecting a welcome with open arms when he gets to Rome. And so he, he opens up his heart. We, we get to see a little of what goes on inside the Apostle Paul gain some insight into the kind of man he is. You know, when you read the epistles, and you read the book of Romans, and you read the doctrine of Christianity, and how, how, how clearly and, and, and didactically Paul sets it forth. Paul's a hard man to relate to, personally. 
And so he gives us a little insight. He gives the Roman church a little insight into, into what makes him tick. He gives them some insight into true Christian spirituality, true Christian service. That's what we're going to look at. You know, there's lots of reasons. People have lots of reasons for, quote, serving God. Some people serve God because they're afraid that if they don't, God's going to burn their house down. So they serve out of legalistic or guilt-motivated reasons. Some people serve God because, well, they, they want to be well thought of by others. Some people serve God because they, they feel like that some prestige will accrue to them. Some people serve God because they like to lord it over other people. Some people serve God for the money. There are lots of different reasons why people serve God. But what are, what are the true reasons? What are the real spiritual reasons? How do, how do we serve God, as Paul says, with all of our heart? How is our service of true spiritual character? How can we know that? And guard against external fleshly service. How can we? Paul's going to give us some insight into these things, and I want you to turn there to the first chapter with me if you're not already there. He starts off and he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. The first mark. The first, first evidence, I think, that we can look for in our own lives that would be evidence of true spiritual service is a thankful heart, is an attitude of gratitude. And not just once in a while saying thank you, an attitude of gratitude. The Apostle Paul, when he penned the letter to the Romans, he was in Corinth. And he was on a three-month sabbatical from his missionary journeys. He was settling down. He was thinking and concentrating, writing this letter in preparation for his eventual trip to Rome. But the circumstances that were surrounding his life at that time, one, the Jews were plotting his death. Two, every city he'd been to, remember he's on his way to Jerusalem to take the collection to the Jerusalem saints? In every city that he goes to, a prophet shows up and says, Oh, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. You're going to be in big trouble. They're going to, they're going to chain you. You're going to die. It's going to be horrible. Not exactly the most inviting um, uh, environment for you to be thankful, huh? I don't know about you, but for me, if I had that kind of news being presented to me, if I thought that people were plotting my death, it'd be real hard for me to, to have an attitude of gratitude. This is the fourth time I preach this message. I've been studying this passage all week. And God has, has laid a, a, a conviction on me that is just overwhelming. He said to me that you, he said, Zach, you don't have an attitude of gratitude. And I didn't want to hear that. But under his convincing power. I admitted, I said, yes, Lord, I don't have an attitude of gratitude. I have an attitude of ingratitude. My whole, my whole life, my whole heart is not a heart that continually expresses thanks. You say, well, that's, that's how can you continually express thanks? Isn't that too much to expect? Don't you know that it's a hard life? Do you know there are all kinds of problems? Do you know what we face? Yeah, I face them too. But in the midst of all of those things, we can still be thankful. You say, thankful for what? For our salvation. For His grace. For His love. 
for His continual forgiveness. We can be thankful for the church. As imperfect as the church is, it's the best thing going. We can be thankful. We can be thankful that God loves us. There's so much to be thankful for. Are we people who are developing an attitude of gratitude? Or are we people who are operating in the flesh and operating continuously in an attitude of ingratitude? If life hasn't given you what you think it ought to, if you haven't gotten what you think you deserve, that's a selfish, fleshly attitude, and that's an attitude of ingratitude. If we got what we deserved, every single one of us would go to hell. Do you know that? Every single one of us would go to hell if we got what we deserved. That alone, that alone is sufficient to be thankful for. You've saved me from hell. Thank you, Lord, every day. Thank you, Lord. And so Paul is a man who says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. He, he's talking about a personal relationship. My God. You notice how personal that is? He uses that word, that personal pronoun, my. I thank my God through who? Through Jesus Christ. Why does he say that? Well, it's, it's only through Jesus that he can know God and know him in a personal way. I had a conversation this week with a gentleman, and we were talking about things, and then the conversation managed to turn around to spiritual things. And he began to back up. He said, I believe in God. I said, Wow, it's wonderful. Tell me about the God you believe in. And I used very impersonal terms when I said that. I didn't say, tell me about your God. Tell me about him. I said, tell me about the God. Very impersonal terms you believe in. And he, he, he couldn't. Hmm. Well, um... He couldn't describe the God he believed in. And for the first time in his life, he was at a point realizing that he had no context. He had nothing to say about God. I knew I had him. <laughs> and then I said to him, I said, well, you know, would you like me to tell you about my God? So you always ask a question. And he's not going to be rude and say no. And I know that. He says, well, okay, yeah. And I began to tell him about my God. And you know who I described? Jesus. You know how I can know my God? Only through Jesus. And why is that? Because Jesus is none other than God himself in the flesh come down to earth to reveal to us what he's like. And I began to tell this man about, about my God and describe his character and his nature and, and how he interacts with his creation and, and how he loves and his compassion. He was starving to hear about that. Starving. Just like those little kids are starving in those good news clubs to hear about Jesus. I thank my God through Jesus Christ. I thank my God for all of you. Now why does Paul say this? Why is he thanking God for all of them? He tells us. He says, because your faith is being reported your faith is being reported all over the world. Isn't that marvelous? Think about that. You say, well, 
What's the big deal about that? It's a very big deal. Tacitus, the Roman historian, in describing Rome, says very concisely that all things vile and abominable flowed into Rome and were heartily encouraged. If you read the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, you read about Rome and about the disgusting moral and spiritual decay in the empire that was centered in Rome. And you read incredible parallels that you see in our even present day society. Did you know that in the name of humor, I saw this yesterday in a little magazine that I get. It's a little periodical, monthly periodical. And this is, it, it, was, it was describing something of, of, of our national moral level and where we've fallen to. And in the name of humor, the National Lampoon put out a, a, a magazine and, and on the cover was a picture. And here's, here's, in the name of humor, this is how sick our society is becoming. In the name of humor, this is what was described in the picture. A blender, you know a blender? You know that you grind up food and stuff in? And, and there was a hand coming out of the side, a, a big claw with big fangs, and it was ugly and black and disgusting. You know, it was like the devil, you know, with its, one of its fangs on one of the buttons of the blender. And then in the blender was a baby. Was a baby crying. Does that, does that disgust you as much as it does me? See how vile and abominable those kinds of things are? That's what Rome was like. And Paul says to them, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world in the midst of that kind of disgusting environment. You're maintaining purity. Purity. Now imagine how encouraging that was to all the rest of the saints throughout the world who are hearing about the church in Rome. Way out on the very extremities of the empire where little churches were springing up people believing in God, and they hear about the great faith of the church at Rome in the midst of that, that horrible environment that these people remain pure, untouched and untainted by their environment. That indeed they're reaching out, making a difference, being salt and light, as Jesus says in Matthew's Gospel. Churches are famous for lots of things, aren't they? Some churches are famous for their stained glass. Other churches are famous for their organ. Other churches are famous for their great preachers, teachers. Other churches are famous for their crystal. Other churches are famous for their music programs. Other churches are famous for their positive thinking. There's churches that are famous for lots of things, aren't there? What was the Church of Rome famous for? It's faith. It's faith. Do you know why people are not coming to church? Do you know why people avoid church while the vast majority of this country is unchurched? Because the churches are famous for everything except faith. That's why. That's why there are millions of people unchurched. Because the churches are famous for everything except faith. What are we famous for? What are we famous for? Some would say we're famous for our relaxed, casual environment. You can wear shorts here. 
the pastor doesn't wear a tie, except when he does weddings and funerals. Some would say that we're famous because you can bring coffee into the auditorium. Some would say that we're famous for our love. Many people have come here because they've felt loved. Because they felt the love of the Lord here. They felt accepted and non-condemned. And while that's very good, it's not sufficient. It's not enough. Let me tell you why. You see, when all the, the froth and the fluff settles, the love doesn't run deep enough. It doesn't run deep enough. Oh, it's there. Sometimes, and I think too many times, the love is relatively superficial. It doesn't run deep enough. And you know why the love doesn't run deep enough? It's because the faith doesn't run deep enough. It's because we're not famous for our faith. But the love doesn't run deep enough. Should have reached out to somebody themselves. Maybe. But no one's reached out to them. No one saw them kind of wandering around or just standing alone, feeling dumb. No one's watched the hall and seen them scoot out of church right after it's done because they're afraid to hang around and meet somebody. Because they're afraid of being open and vulnerable, though that's the very thing that their insides are crying out for. The love doesn't run deep enough yet. Because our faith doesn't run deep enough. What are we famous for? Are we famous for people as, as people who are learning to be thankful? To be thankful. Because if that's true, then that's that's a clear picture that our faith is beginning to run deep. What kind of faith are we talking about? Are we talking about name it and claim it? Are we talking about just, oh, praise the Lord, hallelujah? What are we talking about? We're talking about a faith that can only come as a result from reading the Word of God, from understanding the Word of God, and from applying the Word of God every single day. That's the kind of faith we're talking about. Because that's the only kind of faith that will strengthen us and we will be able to stand in a day of testing. That when all of our circumstances come crashing around our head, when everything's in turmoil, when our emotions are going haywire, Faith is firm. That we say with Job, though you slay me, still I will trust you. And every one of us are tested. I talked with two men this week whose lives are a mess. A mess. Their families are shot. And they come to me and they say, would you counsel me? I muster all the strength I can muster. And all the love and compassion that I can possibly muster. And I look them right in the eye. And I say, are you in the word? Are you in the word? Are you reading your Bible? They say, well, no, I try. That's not good enough. 
Are you reading the Bible? Is the Word of God a priority in your life? Because until the Word of God is a priority in your life, nothing is going to happen except disaster. You're only fooling yourself. That kind of faith comes out of the Word of God, meditating on the Word day and night, as the psalmist says. And then understanding the Word and applying it. Applying it. Taking God seriously. That's the kind of faith we're talking about. Faith that's built on the Word of God and applying the Word of God in my life. I thank my God for all of you through Jesus Christ because of your faith, which is being reported all over the world. Paul's thankful. Thankful. And then he says, God whom I serve, that word serve in the Greek is the word uh, letruo, which is also translated, not only serve, it's also translated worship. And it's translated that way in some other places in the New Testament. Identical word. And he says, God whom I serve, or whom I worship, now here's the key phrase in the whole passage, with my, what? Whole heart. And the word for heart in the Greek is not cardia, as we would expect. It's pneuma, which is translated normally the word spirit. With my whole spirit. With my whole being. From down deep inside of me, I serve him. I worship him. God whom I serve with my whole heart, with all of me. What is, what is the great commandment? What's the great commandment? Do you remember that? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with what? Thy whole heart, thy whole mind, thy, thy whole soul, thy whole strength. Your whole being with your whole heart. I shall worship him and serve him. The great commandment. So Paul says, I, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his son. He said, God is my witness. Now he's going to share something with them that, that no man could know. They can't know with any assurance except to take Paul's word for it. And so he calls God as his witness his fellowship with God is so intimate that he could call on God as his witness to validate what he's saying is true. He says, I call God as my witness to you of how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. He's redundant. He wants them to know he's praying for him all the time. He says in Thessalonians, he says it in Ephesians again, pray always, pray always at all times, for everyone, without ceasing. We see the second mark of true spiritual service. The first one was a thankful heart, an attitude of gratitude. The second one is an attitude of concern. Paul is saying to them, I care. I care about you. You have great faith. But I still care about you. I still care because though you started well and started strong, I know that there's always the potential of slipping off into the flesh. Isn't that true? You ever read the second chapter of the book of Revelation? It starts off with Jesus talking to the church at Ephesus. 
And he says to them that he's a little frustrated with them, put it mildly. And he's telling them they need to repent and return to their first love. And if they don't, that he's going to come to remove the lampstand. That means that he's going to come and remove the light. That they're going to cease to be a light. There's going to be a group of people. That's it. There's not going to be any light. He's going to remove the lampstand unless they repent and turn back to their first love to him. And so Paul says, I pray for you. I care about you. Constantly. What was the content of Paul's prayers? What did he pray? Do we have any evidence? Do we, can, we, can we know what he prayed? Did he pray, oh God, God, they need a new chariot? <laughs> what did he pray for them? Let's look at some of Paul's prayers. Turn to Ephesians, the third chapter. Third chapter of Ephesians. Verse 14. We read a pair of Paul's. Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father. This is why he's kneeling. This is the reason from whom his whole family in heaven on earth and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches... He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Listen to that prayer. That He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Turn to Philippians, the next book, the first chapter. Verse 9, chapter 1 of Philippians. We read another one of Paul's prayers. And Paul prays, this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Get that? In knowledge and depth of insight. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Turn to Colossians, the first chapter. That's the very next book. Verse 9 again, first chapter of Colossians. Paul writes, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Notice the content of Paul's prayers? What's he praying for? He's praying for spiritual blessing. He's praying spiritual things. He's praying for spiritual things into the life of the churches, into the lives of the saints. He says, I care. 
and nothing of value and significance is going to happen into your life until the spiritual realm begins to impact your life. Until you begin to grow in the knowledge and understanding and spiritual insight. And until you're strengthened by God's strength and His power. That's what I pray for, He says. Do we care? Have you ever, has ever somebody ever said, we related some difficulty in their life and, and you just said, well, I'll pray for you. And then later on forgot to pray for them? Forgot their name? Forgot the problem? That's happened to me. God has convicted me not only of a, an attitude of ingratitude in my own life, he's convicted me of my lack of genuine concern. You say, well, I care. You know how you know you really care? The mark of true caring is that you are a person who prays constantly at all times for spiritual things in a person's life. That you pray constantly. Not just once in a while. Constantly. That's how you show you really care. That's a mark of true spiritual service. That we pray constantly. I pray for you. And more and more, I'm, I'm learning to pray for you constantly and at all times. I pray for you in the morning when I wake up. I pray for you in the shower. I do. God gives me great insights in the shower. I don't pray for you when I'm playing racquetball. But I pray for you when I'm in my office here throughout the week. I pray for you midday. We, we have a little time of prayer in our prayer room. I pray for you in there. I pray for you in the evenings when I'm lying on my bed, ready to, to sleep. I'm learning to pray for you constantly and at all times. I care. I love you. And I'm praying spiritual things into your lives. The knowledge of God. The love of God. I pray God strengthen us. God give us a hunger for your word. God, draw us close to you. Fill us with your spirit. Lord, open our eyes to the truth. Lord, free us from this world of fleshly desires and materialism that holds on to us, that trips us up day after day. Lord, free us from our own selfishness. Do we care? Do we really care? Not unless we pray. And not unless we pray constantly can we know that we care. Paul says, in verse 10, I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I pray that somehow, anyhow, at some time, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. You know what he's saying? He's describing another aspect of true spiritual service. A person who's a thankful heart, a person who cares and who prays, is also a person who is willing to be involved. <laughs> Ooh. It's like Isaiah. Sixth chapter of Isaiah. I love it. Verse 8. God has just finished describing this incredible scene. Isaiah has this vision of God on his throne. He's all alone. And then God says, Who shall we send? And all of a sudden it dawns on Isaiah that he's the only one. There is no other. 
And he stands up and he, what does he say? Do you remember what he said? Here I am. Send me. A willing heart. Paul not just only prayed for them, but he prayed that he himself would be allowed the privilege of participating in the answer to the prayer. I want to be part of the answer. God, send me. Oh, I long that the way be open, that I can go participate, that I can have a hand in it. A willing heart. A willing heart. Attitude of gratitude. I care. Here I am. Send me. Marks of real, true, spiritual service. That will set you apart from the external, fleshly motivations and give you visibility of where your motives really lie. And the depth of your service, the depth of your faith, the depth of your commitment to him. Where are we? What are we famous for? For external fleshly service or for true spiritual service? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Father, how we thank you for your word. Lord, there is absolutely no way we could know these things with the certainty, with the clarity that we do, but for your word. God, we thank you. Lord, I pray that you would, you would, would, would make us into people with thankful hearts. The Lord, that you would make us into people who are concerned and who pray. Lord, pull the veil back and, and give us a, a vision of, of your purposes, the seriousness of the tasks. Lord, that we might be people who really, truly care. 